celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Tall Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. Today we have Ken Lynch. He's leading the performance pathway programs and initiatives across the Australian Sailing High Performance System. He's a leader in the high performance sphere and works with a duality in his role as a strategist and as a capability developer for both people and systems. Ken is a keynote speaker and consultant to high performance sports and has a well-refined expertise in performance analysis plus reviewing. He applies longitudinal system thinking to track the entire process of a person or system's high performance from its development to its analysis. He then implements frameworks for performance pathways with an incredible knowledge and vast experience within the athletic and systematic high performance systems. It's really exciting for me to welcome Ken Lynch to Tall Poppy Talk. First of all, where are you and how are you today, Ken? Sure, Grace. Um, thank you for that intro. Feels like someone I should hire. I don't know if, if all those skills are in play, but <laughs> uh, I am currently in Melbourne. So I, I work for Australian Sailing at the moment and uh, Sail Melbourne is on, so big regatta. Uh, normally based in Brisbane, but yeah most of my time uh for now is in australia wow what will today obviously with the big regatta on what does today look like for you uh today not so much pressure for me um i'm proud of my workers is in something you mentioned there and building capability so i'll be jumping out with one of our coaches on coach boat just observing them in competition mode and building a bit of a profile to help them with their own individual development plan and, and support their development. As a rower myself, I can imagine the experience for the athlete in the boat, but that's those resources are incredible. And that's obviously what you're up to now. I want to jump back a little bit. Uh, back in 2011, 2013, you were working with Irish, the Ireland High Performance System, and focusing at one period with the triathlon Ireland, which I found really fascinating and later with the Irish Institute of Sport. I also know prior to that, you were with the Peter Snell Institute of Sport, heading their talent search program, which kind of ties into what you're even doing today. Uh, then a lot of time in high-performance sport New Zealand before heading over to Australia where you are now. That's just a lot of all global perspective and experiences that I would like, <laughs> if you can, for you to please outline your career journey and your personal experience um, with high-performance sport? Yeah, I suppose I wasn't ever good enough to be an athlete <laughs> for, for lots of reasons. Uh, and, you know, there's plenty of people that have aspirations and, and, and never make the cut, and I was one of those. Probably not even close to the cut, which is, um, in retrospect, at times, well, I, I probably think I was closer than I was, but but not. <laughs> So, but love sport. And so how, how do you get a career in sport? When I was younger, I thought I'm just going to own a sport shop and um, just going to talk to whoever comes in. I probably wouldn't have sold a lot and um, I probably wouldn't have a sport shop anymore. So I ended up going into teaching and I specialized as a primary school specialist in PE. Did my degree in Wales and, I, and then I went to teach in, in London for three years. So I blended it with kind of playing football and running and, and teaching 
all the subjects that you do in primary school, but but specialising in in two schools in PE, which was really interesting. I I really enjoyed it. It's quite far from high performance, uh, and and so I always have aspirations to be involved in that field, and 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 got the chance to coach at some reasonable levels there, and then moved to New Zealand in '99 again, still in teaching, but secondary school, and and drifted closer towards academy type programs. Um, one that I set up was a, a multi-sport one, which was new. Pull together maybe the common threads of performance and, and link with their sports rather than be really specific. So it was a, I suppose that was a, the start of my philosophy around thinking around not specialising too early and, and left hands talking to right hands. So yeah, in between that and the Peter Snell Institute, I had a restaurant for a while, um, which I wouldn't recommend to anybody. Um, that's, yeah. It's kind of I try and forget it really. It's it's it's, it's tough, but uh, yeah. So in between all of that, just a bit of a mishmash, and then Peter Snell Institute of Sport, which was cool. Uh, two sort of programs there. One was around ID using the old talent search model that was implemented in here in Australia, and and working through the schools on that. So I had a connection to the schools, and the second part of that was scholarships to athletes that were on the way up, let's say, uh, and that and that gave me another taste of things closer to high performance. Um, and then the, I shifted back to Ireland to work for the Irish Institute of Sport. And we, I wore many hats there, in, as you mentioned. So seconded to triathlon, seconded to badminton for a while. Did lots lots of different jobs there, which was great because it was a kind of a startup. You know, when I arrived, there was only four employees, the Irish Institute of Sport in a temporary building. Uh, it, it was crazy times, but great fun. And, and then that grew. Uh, Went to the London Games as, as the team manager for triathlon, um, supported modern pentathlon in a similar capacity towards the end of the games, and then, and then looked to move back to what I sort of consider home is in is in New Zealand, and that was into high performance sport in New Zealand. Oh my gosh, I particularly like that. It's almost um, not planned, but you got incrementally closer to high performance, as you say. But having done sport myself and with you the foundations are set at that primary school age. Like the, like you say, left-hand, right-hand coordination, high performance begins, although we might not want to say academy in all those terms. Um, when you're younger, that is where the foundations are set. So you've almost progressed through what the natural progression of an athlete is. And now when you're in this high performance realm, you can appreciate the whole process. I don't know if you look at it like that, but I view that career progression is quite flattering and complimentary. It certainly wasn't intentional, you know, like, because like, I wasn't really, I didn't really pay attention in school. So I kind of got what I got. <laughs> That's kind of where I ended up. Uh, and if I hadn't got into that course I got into, I probably, I probably wouldn't have had a sport shop. <laughs> so, so yeah, it wasn't intentional, but it is kind of cool. I, I think for somebody now, I wouldn't say I, I'm working in pathways and have worked in pathways performance pathways for a reasonable period of time for someone to have worked basically the whole way along the chain over nearly 30 years it, it is quite complementary to what i do uh so so i yeah i, I can drop into conversations at, at, at most levels of the pathway and 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 sort of hold my own which which i enjoy yeah. yeah stay like relatable which especially when you're coming up and it all seems a bit much i can imagine people will gravitate towards you for that reason um I was also curious, high performance, I'm from New Zealand, that's the one I'm most familiar with. 
what was it like transitioning from you say home high performance sport New Zealand in general to Australia sailing in general like obviously the countries are different but I'm curious about going in from high performance general to like sailing specific what was that transition like we're all probably still wrestling with it. <laughs> uh, I uh, my role in New Zealand was across, so I led high performance athlete development, and at the time there was fourteen target sports plus some other sports. Uh, generally, there was two of us in that team, so um, started with Adrian Blinko, then uh, Tony Reddins, then Dave Wright. So pushed the capacity out into the sports rather than build a capacity within high performance sport New Zealand so we had a, we did have a small team and and that portfolio was split across the two of us so I generally had seven eight sports six to eight sports uh to look after and and so a reasonable degree of variety uh this role yeah narrowing down into one sport mind you one sport with classes that are quite different so there is still variability yeah. Um, ha has been helpful. Not a sport that I have deep knowledge of or had deep knowledge of. I, I, I had worked with this sport in Ireland and, and New Zealand. So that, that was a challenge, getting deep and getting that level of understanding. Um, so, yeah, I'm still wrestling with the one sport thing and I do pop my head up every now and again and and go and catch up with other sports and other people in other sports and still people in New Zealand and Ireland, you know, just to keep my brain a little bit wider. You know, there's plenty of ideas out there and, and it's good to bring new thinking and diversity into, into the space that I'm in. So so that's refreshing for me. But it's a, it, it's a challenge, you know. For eight years in New Zealand, I've been guiding and mentoring and supporting people to do what I do here and it's good part of the challenge and part of why I came to this role was can what I've been telling people they should do for eight years can it actually be done or or am I selling people the unicorn dream so so I'm very quickly finding out that it I think it can be done but it does take a lot of time and that's and that's part of uh, it's good learning for me. I think if I, if I was ever to jump back into the role I was in previously, whether it be here or somewhere else, uh, I think I would have a little bit more patience. But, but yeah, that that's the, that's the role specific piece. Um, the systems are quite different there as well. How so are the systems different? I again a broad question. Yeah, well, New Zealand's pretty simple. You know, um, high performance sport New Zealand is the investor, so they invest in the sports and they also provide the service. So that brings its own challenges, but it's a one-stop shop. And but for me here, so I lead. You know, Queensland is the same size as New Zealand, and that's one-stop shop for Queensland. But I've also got New South Wales, South Australia, Tasmania, Victoria, and WA. So I've got a number of HPSNZs to try and coordinate around um, a landmass that's significantly bigger than New Zealand <laughs> uh, and get the right people in the right places at, at the right time. 
and um, and that's pretty challenging across the number of classes that we have in sport. Yeah, I can imagine because um, I'm from Cambridge, which, as I'm sure you know, has a it's a central location for many sports. You've got like kayaking, cycling, rowing, all right there. Versus, I can't imagine the dis- how dispersed they are in the state um in the states of Australia, going across them. That feeds into my next question from all your experience in various sports, but also in different countries, et cetera. How do you define high performance? I don't think high performance is a constant. So, so I'm a little nerdy. And so I like numbers <laughs> and we know, you know, part of, part of the role in, in performance, high performance pathways is understanding what it's going to take to win in 2028 for me now, 2028, 2032. And somehow quantifying that and then running a, a regression model back to understand where people need to be now uh, for us to understand, have they got the potential to deliver a medal in the future? So so what high performance is today, that standard is not the same standard it was four years ago or will be in four years time. Um, High performing, being high performing is, is probably being able to be at that standard. Again, not a constant because it ebbs and flows. There's peaks and troughs. You can't be up there all the time. So a high performer or being high performing in a sport capacity, in a, in a sports person's capacity feels to me like someone that can deliver on their potential at the right time when it counts and likely repeatedly. So uh, outside of the sporting realm, when we think of it in a you know a business capacity, it, it's not too dissimilar, really. Um, being able to deliver the right things at the right time, um, and again, not always on. Not, it's just not not sustainable. So, so I think people's perception of everything's up here, always on, uh, at that level all the time, and it's full noise. Uh, it's nice to have, but it's probably not the reality. So, I'm not sure if I've answered the question. But I'm not sure if I have an answer to the question. <laughs> no, I gravitate towards that a lot, especially when you said it's not a constant, but you have to be at a standard at the right time. And that isn't just specific to athletics. Obviously, I can relate to that. You Race day is race day, right? Like you want to be at your best on that day, not two weeks shy each side, but that can easily be transferred to anything. You want to be, you're presenting something at work or if you're family related like people can be high performance in every capacity so I particularly enjoy that definition of it's not it's always flowing and to expand upon it in my own words potentially for each person it's going to have a wildly different definition depending on how they're performing is that fair to say yeah and I don't think it's perfect so people the assumption is it's perfect it's perfection when actually uh you know, you think the best golfers in the world that might shoot 63 for 18 and still go, well, I was a bit left on the fourth or I was a bit far back on the green on the seventh. And, you know, I was lucky with the putt on the 12th, you know, so they, it, it's not, it's not 100%. It's not perfection. You know, sometimes you can get a performance out that you feel is the best you were able to do at that time. Like you maximized your performance at that time. And so at that moment, it was 100%, but then you could train for six months or 12 months or 18 months and, and surpass that. So, so I think the imperfection in high performance or, uh, 
be it's useful for people to understand and, and think in that capacity but uh but yeah no one ever gets it right all the time and probably high performers get it right more of the time than people that aren't high performers yeah oh well and we'll get into it later i have a question drawing back on when you said looking at potential how you work backwards um i imagine that threw you out for tokyo how it went a year later i know that that for people's performance specifically with sport would have really thrown things out i i assume that was your experience with it being delayed a year yeah by then i was already in paris so you know I, i'm I leave the current cycle thinking in a performance, high performance pathways role, you leave the current cycle thinking to the people in the current cycle, I'm already gone. I'm already in Paris and LA. So it's, it's quite a good role really, because you, you, well, it's a good and a bad role. You never get to the big dance because you're always in the future, but you never get, you can't get blamed for anything because you can just say when we handed them on, they were, they were ready to go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's that's um that's interesting I didn't appreciate that that's what would happen yeah there's a handoff period it's um that's cool and that is actually unsurprisingly through all your work with different athletes uh, high performance systems etc you have a role within the athlete identification selection and confirmation I wasn't exactly sure what confirmation meant but how do you identify athletes like, what are you looking for when you're assessing their potential as high performers for the future? Part of it is the regression modeling that comes back. What do they need to be doing by when? Um, and so accurate profiling of what good looks like and what we think good will look like is supports our ability to identify what potential people have. It's harder, the further you get away, the harder it is because we the waiting on performance gets reduced because we can't expect people on the way up to be hitting the same performances as people already established high performers because they're still learning. And then we're looking at things that are maybe less objective. So the easiest way to manage it is just to run it by numbers. And if you don't hit this target, then you're out. And we don't really think about it. We just think about performance at that stage, not, not performance and potential at that stage. Because it's a, it's a really difficult conversation. And wherever you draw a line, there's always someone underneath it. Um, and so it's a difficult conversation when it's so qualitative, the assessment to have with the person below the line, you, you didn't make it because you, we don't think you've got the same potential as that person. And so for people to enable that conversation, it's easier for people to have metrics. Yeah. So that person achieved this, that person was faster than you or through further than you or, and, and this, and you didn't. So best of luck. Um, next year <laughs> so 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 yeah that that there is a difficulty in it and and that's for people like me and people i work with like you know particularly in this sport where there's not many metrics such a degree of variability you know like yesterday we're here it was 35 degrees really shifty uh tough day on the race course today is going to be a completely different day bigger sea state more swell more wind more consistent from one direction and so chalk and cheese you know uh and, and we don't we can't say well you were you crossed the finish line in this many minutes and because <laughs> yesterday would have been completely different to today so so the qualitative element of our assessment in this sport is a real part of, part of why i took on the challenge just to be able to 
how do you do that yeah because especially with water sports unless you're in the same race or not even same regatta because it can vary from hour to hour how much wind is going to be impacting that and then I'm just curious because when does experience like obviously it's qualitative but you might also look at an athlete who goes oh like if it's going to be a windy day what athlete has more experience and confidence with wind like that's not qualitative that's subjective but as you're saying regression model the further back you get we can't be looking as much at those things like that's tough that's a tough um position to be in well you know we brought something in this year around earlier in the pathway so so the way the model is set up set up here in australia is you've got podium podium ready podium potential developing and emerging they're the five categories and then and then we've got a pre-emerging pre-emerging would equate to in new zealand what we set up at the time was pathway to podium yeah. and then and then and then it would be what would have been at the time the carding system and so uh, uh, one to two years from carding is the kind of same area we our regression model that we've run has we created an athlete development framework and we created a coach development framework that's aligned to that but the uh you can't assess so that regression model is back from what we think is going to take to win a gold medal you can't assess somebody 10 years away eight years away against that criteria because imagine being told you're three percent the way there <laughs> you know it's just not very motivating is it so redress the criteria at the bottom the very bottom of that pathway to, to put things so instead of being uh, a brilliant racer we're looking for good racers so people that show elements of good racing within their performance we brought in a category that is curious learners so they they ask good questions and and they and then they can apply the learning so Huge. yeah they're the type of people that will do well especially in a sport with so many variables applied learning and the ability to review and and and, and kick on is something new that we've brought in here it, it, it's difficult it's like the person below the line and the person above the line though how do you say it's a it's a more difficult conversation to say that person's a curious learner and you're not <laughs> Uh, so we're trying to give coaches examples of, well, what does that look like? And how can you explain to somebody, Here's, this is a work on for you. You know, you're asking good questions, but you're not applying the learning or you're not asking good questions. So what type of questions should you be asking and, and why and how does that better enable your development? So it's a, it's a, I'm saying learning a lot, but it's a learning curve for this sport, this, the coaches in this sport and the system, because um, we're challenging people's thinking and making it more difficult for them to manage because we're pulling the metrics out or reducing the weighting on the metrics and increasing the weighting on, hey, have these people got the capacity and potential to learn fast enough, faster than their competitors and apply the learning at the right time. So be a high performer. Can you apply all these learnings in multiple environments with these all the variables that go on repeatedly uh, when it counts? And so that's what we're trying to build. Yeah, and that will translate even the curiosity. Muscle memory is obviously super important. I can relate to rowing, but in general, you need to know things. But even having curiosity in a match, in a race, something of you, I'm looking at it as if you can train your mind at the same time to be curious and constantly looking for more. That's actually going to be its own skill that you will apply in competition 100% and be analyzing the situation you're in. So 
again, I can see that that's difficult to translate into it's not metrics, but it's going to benefit the athlete long-term if they can take that on board. That's really interesting. Um, you see that, you see that, but you don't necessarily have a term applied for that often when you're looking at pathway programs. Yeah, I think we probably hear coachable most often. Yep. Um, and define that. Um, so, so it really being coachable is about is being able to apply the learning, right? So, uh, wherever that learning comes from, so your ability to accurately recall what happened in a race. Like, if you can't do that, then then you then you're not reflecting on on the right thing. Therefore, the learning is not going to be as good quality. Yeah, it's uh, got to be internal as well as external. Like you can have those external conversations, but if you can't at the moment or reflectively like look in and kind of analyze it and I think that's cool from an athletic point of view coachable is definitely the word that's a key word you hear but to kind of break it down and define it more with curiosity applied learning another part of your many hats that interests me was you work with systems obviously as well as people like identifying specific persons what are the main differences in your approach when you're developing like capabilities with a single person versus when you're working with an entire system? I don't know if I know, I just do it. <laughs> uh, systems is really the frame that individuals step into. Um, and there's parameters that we work in. So if we think of it from an athlete perspective, the further down the pathway we go, probably the wider the funnel gets in terms of the standards that you need to meet in whatever the criteria, uh, uh, objective or subjective or qualitative or quantitative. So it's not quite, you can't just have sort of Brownian motion in, in, uh, within those parameters. It, it's got to be moving at a rate because we, you know, we understand, uh, speed of progression is also important, but within that you've got to be able to individualize. So if you're really going to optimize somebody's development or performance, you can cookie cutter and, and, and it, it's got to be less prescriptive and moving towards more consultative. And for that to happen, you've got to develop knowledge as well as physical prowess, knowledge and understanding probably as well as physical prowess. So, so the systems build the box and tell people where the door is. So there's no point in having a nice box if no one knows how to get into it and uh, cares for the people enough in the box that they individualize the support and tailor as much as resource will allow to their needs to help them optimize their performance. And that's all the way along. And, uh, and some people will reach their limit within that. Uh, and so the system has to be able to understand that and manage that. And, and to my mind, trying to build systems, try and build their complex and effective and efficient at the back and, and, and warm with edge when required at the front. So the athlete shouldn't experience the complexity they should experience simplicity and and warmth but and care but also know where the limits are and where the parameters are 
and the system and the people in the system like me and the coaches and the staff here in sailing as an example work the machines in the back they don't need to see that you know so so it's like getting your burger at mcdonald's you know but we can all see it but that's the machine that's working at the back and you should just pay your money and get your burger at the front and then you're happy um, yes yeah that's um interesting because from like an from the individual perspective in terms of someone entering the system I feel like maybe when you're especially on the way up you feel so much like obligation to impress the system and you're giving this great insight of being yeah like you say in the back room making sure the system runs effectively that when they come in you're gonna you have an obligation back to them but sometimes I think that individual in the system gets separated like as opposed to you're describing it as a really cohesive um situation which it probably should be and maybe that speaks to my approach to systems is thinking oh as the athlete you need to prove yourself the whole time um I like that it should be simple but the warmness with an edge the athlete needs to know in the situation yeah there is that edge and that kind of ties into what I feel of there's a responsibility for that athlete entering the system to make sure they're matching what is going on in that back room yeah, it's a clarity thing, right? So when you come in the door, here's what you can expect of us, but here's what we expect of you. Yes. Um, and it's also clarity in when it's time to perform and maybe when it's time to learn. So, you know, at the beginning of the session, we go, you know what? Um, today's a learning day. Today is a day where you can prototype, where you can trial some stuff um, without... Uh, course without any implications right so we actually want you to go and try stuff it's okay it's okay if this doesn't work but we've got to learn from you so and then eight days later when it's a key session you go today you're on like you have to deliver and and so but we've got to tell people that <laughs> instead of assessing people on a day where we didn't tell them it was on and they're prototyping stuff and the comms are poor and so we didn't know they were trying something we think but that was actually a, a race course decision, you know. <laughs> uh, so, so I think we, it's a partnership, right? Simulates in that sense, for like race day, right? Or like match day. If you can try things out on these ones, but on this day, we actually want to simulate what it's like. And then that's when you can practice, you know, ironing out the nerves or the pre-race rituals or whatever it is to mimic, linking back to what you said at the start, high performance is about being on when you need to be on being able to perform the day that it's necessary. Um, not, oh, they have the potential to perform this well. Okay, but we need you to perform this well at 12.45, like on that time, it's being able to perform when you need to. Interesting. The learning in that too, right? So you've got to learn how to do that. Not that some people might just be able to do that, and and and, but there's a lot of people have to learn how to do it. So, so how do we facilitate that? And how do we, how are we more tolerant of it a little bit earlier in the pathway? Hey, they've got to learn how to do this and so how do we afford them more time and that comes into the, you know what's confirmation well you know selection and deselection in my day because i'm old um was if your name wasn't on the list if your name wasn't on the team sheet you you, you were deselected <laughs> so there wasn't a phone call or um that's just how it was and so you go oh, oh i'm not in oh well uh and if your name was on, you would, hey, I'm in. So so I think now we're 
we're not selecting on a one-off event, which has been the case in the past in many sports, right? You, know, you think about the US trials for the Olympics, like yeah. on that day, you could be world champion and fourth in the 100 meters and not go to the Olympics. So, so when you've got a massive population and people at that standard, you can probably do that. <laughs> it's not the way I would do it, but it's easy to manage, right? For us, and I think this quote came out of English cricket, many eyes, many times. So how do we look at somebody we think has potential in a number of environments, a number of times over, over a period of time, especially for, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19 year old, younger athletes that are still growing. Like I saw a guy yesterday, like last time I saw him, he was about two inches shorter than me. It was about six months ago. Now he's about six inches taller than me. And I'm like, are you the same guy? Like, where's your brother? So like they, people change really quickly at that age. So how are we, confirmation is us, we think this person has potential. Where are the opportunities where we can observe them in a, both a training and a competition environment? And 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 then we confirm at the end of that period, probably a year. Yeah, we think this person has potential. Let's lock them into an additional level of support. Linking back to like obviously the system and everything you're doing with in your example with Australian sailing high performance and the pathways, I just kind of want to flip and focus for a moment on the individual going into it and before we talk about tall poppy i just want to ask from your experience and your expertise what are your thoughts on the evolving nature of pressure brought potentially i think through social media but in general you've been in the you've been in the game a while what are your observations on this evolving nature of pressure through social media um it's a gem and a curse i think if you, there's some people that use it really well and it's a great tool for generating or supporting sponsorship let's say so you know sailing is a sport that's not cheap and you know if you can if you're business minded and you can hook in some really good sponsors and use a strong social media platform to support that it can be really useful. Um, it can be really useful in as a learning tool if you have a good filter and connect to the right people. <laughs> uh, I've seen many a Twitter battle that is uh, rewarding in terms of learning. And then I've seen the flip side, which is this is just a, a uh, yeah, probably insane and inane, <laughs> but. <laughs> But not helpful. Um, the flip side of the curse is, you know, look, I, I haven't had it. I haven't had significant experience with directly with athletes around negative impact of social media. Um, I see it. I can see. I can see how and why. And and like personally, my, my daughter had a very poor experience on with a social media piece around around bullying, and so. I, I know how damaging that can be and how how easy it plays out. So so um yeah, I, I think if people were really purposeful around social media and were clear on what it does for them and how to use it and use that platform well, it could be really it can be really helpful and rewarding. Uh, for for me, I, I separate things. I've got a I've got a work 
on a, on a personal, which I'm sure many people do, but it is really, really helpful. Um, this one's quiet and, you know, fun. And this one is, hey, this is where it works. This is work. And this is, uh, and, and, and it, not that I'm, I'm reasonably brand aware, but I, but I, I don't have a brand. <laughs> so, so, but, but I'm very quite clear on that one. Hey, there's, this is what goes on that page. Um, and I don't, I don't interact with anything on that page that I would see as being negative. So, so I'm, I'm, I think there's the strategies to help support people to do that better. Often when people arrive in and they do well and start to move up, you know, I've come across some emails from like email addresses, let's say, for athletes that have just started their career and they've got their old Hotmail address and you just go, you 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 need to change that. <laughs> yeah. So, but people don't arrive in with that awareness, you know, people don't arrive in with that knowledge and understanding. So I think the earlier we can help with that, the better I, I would imagine. Yeah. And um, while I remember, I, I just wanted to acknowledge and say sorry about the experience of your daughter, because that isn't unique, unfortunately, that people do have negative social media experiences. But then to segue to that latter part about the media training and having a personal brand. Um, that's something I think you'd find of interest in my experience with college rowing here. You get trained on what to post and how to have a personal presence online because there's been, at least at the school I went to, and I remember thinking, oh, this is really good actually and how to kind of have that knowledge of, oh, I didn't actually think about, yeah, maybe a coach or a selector might look at my Instagram if it's public you know just ha having an awareness that it's good I like what you said about having two separate elements but I know I don't they're pretty intermingled so maybe being a bit more conscious about separating those things could probably easier said than done but that could be a good way to implement some some boundaries yeah I think the like I, I agree the training is 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 paramount the the diff, I think the difficulty with that is it's probably the, the, the patience that we're aware people need to have in in how long it's going to take to get there, but everyone's always in a rush. And so so a training session is more important than going to meet with the support that's available around social media and branding. And so so people choose to train and and often often deprioritize that type of support because it's there i know it's here in australia i know it's in new zealand i know it's in ireland I, I've, I've been to those sessions so so it's not that the support's not there it's that people aren't prioritizing it or aren't engaging with it for whatever reason and you know it, it's tough to make everything compulsory uh so everybody's sick of webinars you know in, in a oh 200 people on here like, half people are doing something else you know it, it's it's we need to find another way there's another another learning tool or another mechanism i think in general not just around social media we've got to vary our learning our teaching styles and approaches to keep it to keep the variety there otherwise people disengage or don't engage yeah no that's um that's valuable and we've got to the question that i have in every in every interview and there's no right or wrong answer but could you please describe in your words what tall poppy syndrome is 
and if you've experienced it slash seen it yeah um I, I know it's a New Zealand term really um but I don't think it's I don't think it's just New Zealand I think I think it's I think it's just humans <laughs> um I don't think it's a humility thing really you know like, there is a there is a people that do well are, are are humble or can be humble and and so they don't react to the knockers and so maybe it never really gets addressed but I just get a sense is it, it's a jealousy thing you know uh, I could have made it but I chose to be something else um you know uh but generally 99 percent of the time that's not the case because <laughs> part of being that good is making the decision to commit uh that's part of talent right so uh yeah i, I just think it's like begrudges and and people that are, maybe maybe just haven't learned how to celebrate success that's that's not theirs you know like and even humble people aren't very good at celebrating their own successes and and then we expect them to celebrate the success of others <laughs> that's probably unreasonable uh but uh yeah it's a funny it's a funny syndrome I, I don't i understand i understand i think from it i think people think it comes easy too we all we know there's no shortcuts to high performance there's none like there are none you can learn faster than other people and you might get there quicker, but it wasn't a shortcut. It, you know, it's something, it's, it's something deliberate and practiced and learned. You still have to deliver a performance at the time. Like it doesn't come easy. And, and the, and the more mature sports get, we know this because the standards keep increasing. The standards are getting harder and harder and harder. So therefore the success should really, if we were in proportion should be celebrated more, <laughs> uh, but I just think that pe I, I just think, yeah, people are jealous. People are would that they'd love that would they'd love. Oh, I could have been an all black, you know. If it wasn't for like, remember when I fell off my bike when I was seven? <laughs> yeah, that person's so lucky they're an all black because I fell off my bike. Uh, like, yeah, it's just it's just a, it's just a dream. People dreaming and 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 not prepared to go acknowledge. Hey, you're good. Like you're so good. You're so good. You're so much better than me. You know, I'm the best person at my job in the world. I'm still, but I'm still jealous. You're an all black. It, and that's okay. That's all right. You know, like I remember being at university and um, I, I, I've been to lots of gyms, but I'm not very good in the gym and I don't go to the gym. And I remember being in the gym and one of the guys that was a rugby player like bench pressing, whatever is bench pressing. I couldn't even count that far. And he said, why don't you have a go? And I'd have been lucky to lift the bar, never mind with weights on it, you know, like a scrawny runner. Uh, and so I had a go and everyone was kind of laughing. I was laughing as well, it was quite funny. Like I couldn't even budge it. And, and I remember getting up and we were probably 18, 19 at the time. And so I was getting ribbed for it, which is fair enough. But the guy that had lifted the weight, I remember him just grabbing me and saying, hey, you might be able to lift that weight, but there's no way I can run as fast as you. And, and so, uh, like, I'm, I don't know why that stuck with me, but it always has. And it always should be like a, how I work with people is 
you know, and they go, I wish I could do that. Maybe something I can do. And I go, well, I wish, I, I wish I could do that. I wish I could cycle that fast or jump that high or, and then, and so, yeah, that guy's comment has, has changed my practice, right. And how I'm operate around people that suggest that I can do something that they can't. I just kind of like it. I just, yeah, always done it since. Yeah. And that ties into what you said about celebrating success. Cause you're receiving the compliment that guy said, yeah, but I can't run as fast as you. I really like that. Yeah. It was nice, you know, and it's kind of like a mature, it's a mature, something mature to do in, in like, in somebody that's not mature. And maybe that's why it stuck with me, you know, cause we were teenagers just you know running around smashing each other around so because uh, i was studying pe so there was all different people from all different sports um and it gave me a really sort of good insight into people's skills and abilities and 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 also that I, you can do it you can be good at everything you know so you'll tie yourself out if you try to do that um yeah i'm i'm actually really smiling thinking about that i'm picturing the situation of you trying to bench it as well but <laughs> The celebrating success and that's actually part of my tagline with my uh tall poppy talk is celebrating success and then learning from others about it um i'm yeah i, I really like that 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 fit in well and it gets me curious so obviously in your work you work with certified high performers all the time and i guess i wanted to know what message you would send to the larger community that would perhaps give people more insight into the minds of these athletes I suppose there's some things that be nice for people to be tolerant of. Well, we work with people that are really highly driven uh, and often selfish, and 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 you can't you have to be. <laughs> uh, so, so so not being uh, too critical of the selfishness because you know they're they're going somewhere fast, and and we don't try and smooth the path for them. We help give them tools to manage adversity or challenges and and sometimes other people's support can be useful in that but it might require some tolerance around it could be a bit painful <laughs> so so I, I think that is is something to be to be mindful of I, I think what we said right at the beginning around high performers and being high performing it's not always on you're not always on um, and so the show's not always on and being critical of people when they could be in a competition prototyping, like you don't know the context um, and they might come forth at the Olympics. Uh, and so throwing your toys out of the cot, you know, uh, because of your bicycle accident at seven um, is not, it's not helpful for you or them. <laughs> so, so, so I, you know, it takes a lot to get there. It takes so much. We don't, I, I worked with a, a boxer. I worked with a lot of people, one boxer in particular in Ireland. And we, we created a presentation post the London Olympics called the back of the medal. And I, I kind of think I might've seen it around a few different places, but for people to understand, you know, shiny and in this case, silver at the front, uh, but what's at the back, you know, the back is not the amount of training sessions this year, not the amount of, fights this year or the qualification for the games but that person has been working at this probably consciously from being a teenager 14 15 going a realization that that hey i'm actually a little bit better than some other people around here and 
I've been recognized for that and I'm on the radar. So now I've got a dream and, a, and maybe a plan, hopefully, maybe not at that stage, of winning an Olympic medal or a world title or being a professional boxer. Like it started then. Uh, and that person then makes choices aligned to that plan. That means that they don't do other things. So they commit and engage in their plan or desire to be uh, an Olympic medalist or a world champion or whatever that is. Some people get fourth and you know, fourth is, is like part of the business, the business is medals for us in, 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 but you like, you go get fourth at Olympic games, you know, <laughs> like, I don't think people have a, I don't think we do a good enough job. We're, we're too busy trying to do stuff and win stuff and support people. We don't do a good enough job in painting the picture and what this really takes, what it really, really takes. And, and yeah, we can mount up the hours and put all the metrics together in this many steps. And you see it pop out at the at sort of Olympic Games, Paralympic Games time or, you know, generally around that time around the amount of hours and the amount of years. So it pops up once every four years, but I think sports and systems could do a much better job in going for people to appreciate the level of performance, you know, sustained, repeatable performance over whatever period of time would be helpful. And helpful for people coming into the sport to go, you know, oh, someone's told me I'm the best player in the school, or so I'd like a contract now. But that happens. So how do we how do we help people understand that's not quite a that's not quite how it works, but B, you know, the the, the profile of sports changed too over time. Like I looked at you look at for us now, the new Olympic classes, IQ foil and kite foiling, the demographic is younger. Just like it was with park and pipe and snow sports when that came in, just like it was with triathlon when that came in, you know, and then gradually the the age that people peak um, gets increases as the sport matures, and so then it takes longer to get there. The field's deeper, um, you know, it's harder to qualify. So, so I, yeah, I, I I'd love for people to have more knowledge and understanding and I'm having to go at myself here because I haven't, I haven't been good enough at promoting it. Um, how much work it really takes. And maybe there would be less tall poppy syndrome if people go, actually, no, I, I couldn't have made it. And there's no point in me being jealous. I just need to admire it. Admire that person's commitment to the, to the, to the cause. It would be, I think we'd be a better place all around. You've put that into words where my mind is at. It's like Emma Twig, the rower, got gold at the Olympics. Finally, she got fourth before. She got fourth before. She didn't become any better of a role model when she got gold compared to when she got fourth. She was, in fact, coming back after getting fourth and continuing to train. That shows more to me then getting the gold is that decision to return back. And I think it 100% feeds into what you say about tall poppy and this jealousy ties into the naivety and not understanding when, you know, a 16 year old turns up and says, I'm the best in my school, give me a contract. Not understanding what goes from A to B is not just the training, it's the sacrifices or decisions to pursue that. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head, on the head in terms of that. I think too, just just as you said that, it reminded me of like I can think of a lot of people that came forth, but you know, if you're on your couch 
oh my god <laughs> you know but it hurts it really hurts that hurts and we never really we never really acknowledge that either and probably most athletes are really good with the media afterwards and you know i, I left it all out there and like you know they go back to their room for the most part i'm sure and just like that that's smart like for a long time too you know i know a couple of people with two fourths and no metal like and they still talk about it like it really does it's things yeah i don't know if enough people appreciate that either i'm sure might cross their mind but whoa yeah that would stick with you yeah and I almost I was gonna ask you a little bit how you think the high performance landscape has evolved and if you see it evolving further but I I almost feel like we've touched upon that in ways like it's I don't yeah I don't know do how do you see high performance evolving you you just said it's ever evolving essentially yeah yeah it is and like things that Things that were in play 16 years ago were starting to roll back around and you know, you know, slower, sometimes a slow evolution. It's a, because people change and systems change and strategies change. It doesn't really, you know, all of that. It's like the Ferris wheel, you know, like it's always moving, but it never really goes anywhere. Because <laughs> um, we come back to the same thing you have to be at this standard at this time to deliver success. And the same type of people will do that. Curious learners, people that engage in their own development, you know, that doesn't change. Yeah. It, it's just the, the standards change and, and maybe how we get there and the science and the understanding of getting there faster or in better shape or quality than our competitors. So like, it's a game, right? It's a game. It's called it like the Olympic Games, and so, so, uh, and people and you know just like snakes and ladders, occasionally people cheat, and you never roll a six. <laughs> so you got that to contend with as well. And we've got technology moves things in different ways and equipment. All right. So think about how running shoes, what the impact that has, similar to speed suits and swimming. Right. So, so those things change, but they're ultimately the high performers that that arrive at the right place at the right time and deliver a performance they're capable of that's better than others is still the same. I think to achieve that, you know, I work in high performance pathways and in New Zealand we had high performance athlete development was the name of the area. Systems are focusing more, realizing more now that uh, supporting people earlier in the pathway is necessary to be able to deliver a performance and that, that, the time it takes to develop performers is longer than one cycle. Yeah. So that's one way that it's evolved. It's still the same. You still identify the same type of people and doing the same type of things, but you got to lock the support in earlier because the sports have matured to a standard as such that it takes longer to get there than it did previously. And so I think that's probably the main evolution. You know, Australia's invested a significant amount of money in, in specifically in performance pathways. You know, the initial investment was 54 million. It's nearly what, you know, high-performance sport New Zealand gets in total. Uh, and we had it in New Zealand with HPAD. I don't know where it is now. I haven't been in that system, but we we put significant time and attention into that, developing leaders in sports that wake up every day going, what do we need to do to help people deliver in the next cycle? Um, 
So it's a yeah, that's a that's a that's a change for sure. That wasn't in play in the in most sports. Wasn't in play pre two thousand and eight. Like pre two thousand, high performance directors weren't even really a thing. It was just kind of head coaches. If you could have one meal for the rest of your life, what's it going to be? And it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Oh, it's really tough to go past an eye fillet. Like, just on the rare side of medium rare. <laughs> any, uh, any like sides with it, or is it is it just the eye fillet? Well, I am Irish, so it'd have to be some potatoes. Um, I like like probably potato gratin. I reckon. Yeah, eye fillet on top, um, with a little bit of red wine juice. Uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner, easy all day. Oh my gosh, I love it. Um, thank you so much. I've answered a lot of my questions, but it's left me really curious, which I'm now know is an excellent thing. Um, <laughs> but seriously, Ken, incredible. Thank you so much for being on Tall Poppy Talk today. I've learned a lot. I know people are going to learn a lot, and I would be curious even in a year to speak to you again and see what's occurred between now and a year in terms of the involvement of high performance. So thank you. Thank you. Your questions um, sparked some really cool thinking for me. And, um, and, and I, it, it made me, it made me spend some time in my own head going, actually, what is that? Uh, so, so thank you for, Thank you for addressing this area first. Like I really, I like it. I really like it. Um, and thank you, thank you for the good questions because, yeah, I'm still learning. We're all learning, right? And and it's a really good vehicle when someone prompts you with, with with the type of questions that you come up with, and made me. I talked, you know, made me just chat to a couple of people even around. What, what do you reckon about this? And does it? it yeah, I think I think. I will go a little bit deeper into some of those thoughts and it, and it, and hopefully it might even help change my practice another little bit and 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 help me help others get better that's 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 my aim so so thank you thank you so much for listening to tall poppy talk we'll see you next time feel free to check us out on socials youtube and the website thanks for today's guest and we'll see you all next time take care be kind